This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 166. And I'm very excited today that I have a special guest on the podcast. Her name is Dr. Geraldine Diethelm, and I met her at the BMX recently in January, and I had a really fun time talking to her, and she has a really interesting life story. She um, is a hospital owner. She has been on the board at the NAVC, the board of directors, um, for many years, I believe, but she'll tell us how many. And um, she was just really interesting and she has a great story. So I thought she'd be fun to have on the podcast. Welcome, Geraldine. Well, thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you. I'm really excited. I enjoyed talking to you so much when we were at the VMX. I love meeting new people and I'm just honored that you're willing to come on the podcast. Well, I'm excited. So <laughs> ask away. Right, well, just start from the beginning. Just tell me, you know about maybe when you were a kid or how you decided to become a veterinarian. I love background stories because I really think it it speaks to people out there because we all have similar but different pre-vet stories. So tell me right. about that and how you got into veterinary medicine. Well, um, you know, like all of us, we have a proclivity towards animals. I was never shy with animals. Humans might have been a different story, but uh, I wouldn't care what it was. I would run up to the biggest dog and my parents would be holding their breath as well as the owners and we would get along just fine, you know? Um, but uh, I didn't really know that um, I wanted to be a vet um, until I was about 16 or 17. Um, I spent summers on a farm up in the mountains, my parents are Swiss. So um, on summer holidays, we would always be in Switzerland. And oh, nice. um, th they knew that I loved being outdoors and I wanted to do something with animals. That's kind of as much as we narrowed things down. Um, and so I worked on a, on a farm in the mountains in Switzerland for two years for the summer holidays and just loved it. Um, and of course the, the farmers were um, kind of surprised that a, to them, a city person would um, <laughs> want to just dive right in. Um, for the me, farm. the the muckier, the smellier, the better. Nice. Um, I don't know. Farm smells are just so earthy, and mm -hmm. um, I I thought I was weird. I love horse barns. Like horse barns to me smell so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and to me. Horse barns smell good, but cow barns smell like home. Really? That's yeah, because it was a uh, it was a mountain farm, and they had um, the milking cows grazing the sides of the hills. And, oh gosh! Um, in the morning, they would milk the cows at five o'clock in the morning, and then get the little tram trolley to come up, collect the milk cans, walk down to the bottom of the mountain that they were on. Um, collect the milk cans, take them to the, um, what we call the molkerai, the, the milk collection, 
facility <laughs> and then drive back and start the rest of the day, you know, nice. and uh, that just to me uh, was, was wonderful, but I, it, it wasn't something that I could see myself doing for the rest of my life um, for whatever reason. And uh, so I worked um, in a zoo for a summer and that quite didn't, you know, tame the itch, so to speak. And then um, we realized that my grandparents had a veterinarian in the house right behind ours, in, uh, behind my grandparents um, in Switzerland. And uh, we asked if I could spend the summer there. Nice. And he was a large animal vet, saw small animals, but was a large animal vet. And my first day on the job, um, my first visit was um, to the pre-Alps, um, up to a little hut on a mountain again, um, sitting in that, in a very same little milk, milk, uh, trolley or whatever you want to call it, going up the mountain, seeing marmots and edelweiss and of course calves and listening to the cowbells and going, yeah, I think I could do this. <laughs> and it just started. This looks like a pretty started. sweet life, huh? Yeah, well, of course, you know, that was just the in gentle the summer. <laughs> in the summer. But um, the fo the following six weeks did not make that seem less appealing to me. Nice. And I just spent every moment I could um, with the veterinarian going on calls. And I just loved it and figured, you know what? This is definitely what I want to be. And you were uh, 16 when this was going on? I was probably more like 17 going on 18 okay. at that point. We're getting ready to go to college. Exactly. And uh, so, yeah, the next year I signed up for it. And at that, in that year, they actually um, sent out a letter to all the applicants for veterinary school and said, you know what, we have too many vets in Switzerland right now. If it's not something you really, really want to do, don't do it. Don't we just there's not going to be a job for you um, when you come out of vet school. Yeah. And I still signed up for it, but apparently they were so successful with that letter that they ended up having too few students for veterinary medicine that year. That's and really so strange. the following year, um, they did not send out this letter and everybody <laughs> that had waited. <laughs> and probably put it off to make sure that this is what they really wanted or tried something else. Um, after the following year, they had the biggest class they ever had. Really? You know? Now yeah. this was in Switzerland still, this right? Is that where you went to yeah. veterinary school? That's where I went to veterinary school. Yeah. And how was um, that? I mean, maybe you don't know, but how is that different than U the U S veterinary schools? Like um, in, in Europe, um, your high school goes goes longer than your high school here. And so it's almost like taking your first year in college okay. uh, with your higher physics, your biochemistry and all that. Um, and then the first year in vet school is actually together with um, the other um, medicines like uh, dentistry and uh, human medicine in general. 
Um, you have anatomy, you have biochemistry, more biochemistry, more physics, which I thought I was done with and was horrified that I wasn't. Yeah, I always um, wonder how that how that relates to vet med as physics. Right. It must. Well, it does. It's coming to light now. <laughs> for the longest time, I just wondered why can we not have classes that demonstrate why this would be interesting for me to know either as a girl or then <laughs> as, a, as a vet, where would this or you have to take the class? They explain to you why you have to take the class. That would well, be, that would be, or fun. at least, you know, have examples that you have to figure out that would be practical Relate. for me to know right. related. Exactly. True. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that, there's a big exam um, after your first year in, in, at university. And that basically um, is a very, it's a difficult exam. And if you don't pass that, you don't go on to the next class. Like one um, exam? One big, yeah, oh. it's, it's one big exam and all the different things. I might and, not have made it uh, through school if that's it, the way it was. It weeded, it weeded out a lot of people. Yeah, um, I would, I would think so. Yeah. Um, and again, if, if you weren't convinced that this is what you wanted to do, then this is when you stopped. Right. But, um, you know, you just persevere and you make it through. Uh, and then you have um, three more, four more years of vet school. So four and then one of undergrad? Well, the first year and then you have one, two, three. You have three more vets, of, three more years of vet school after okay. that. Okay. In Switzerland, at least. So it's a little different. Yeah. And you don't really have that much. You don't have a practical year either. Okay. Um, at least when I went to vet school, you didn't. Um, the biggest practical stuff I got to do um, was when I signed up for the for, to take care of animals um, during the emergency shifts. And that was voluntary. The students could sign up for that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really when the vets actually had time to explain things to you, um, you know, on a case or let you do things, monitor a patient, explain anesthesia and all that stuff. Um, and it was pretty exciting because you actually learned a lot just doing that. So I volunteered for that a lot and classes were still during the day. So you kind of had to balance that out, um, taking care of the patients and, um, and that, um, and after that, we had another exam after the second year, um, that moved you on, um, to, uh, to take the third and fourth, fourth year. And at the end of the fourth, you had a big practical exam again. Okay. And then the, is there a big licensing exam like there is here? No. Like that's have Napoli, so you get your exams in school and then you're, you're good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And it's all oral. It's not yeah. nothing, not really written. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's different. Yes. It's and uh, sometimes that can be unnerving depending on who the, in, you know, instructor is. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you failed one of those, could you repeat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could, you could. Okay. but you had to wait till they came around. It wasn't like we're making a special deal for you. Right. Um, they came around a year later. 
Yeah, a whole nother year. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it also gave you a whole year if you need if you needed to, gave you a whole year of working with somebody, um, revisiting specifically those subjects that you were poor at and things like that. So, yeah. you know, it nothing happens for no good reason in life. Right. And right. um, you know, certainly that's been proven to me over and over and over again. Um, if you fail does not mean that you are a failure. It just means that you might not have been ready for that part of your life. Right. Right. And that's a, that is a lesson that I try to teach a lot of my coaching clients. It's like failure doesn't mean that you're failed. Failure means that you just have a different journey. It's just, it's different. And there's a, there's a reason for all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, after, after graduating, I went to the States to do an internship. I signed up for um, the matching program and uh, first didn't match and then was contacted by um, Washington State University saying that they had a position open if I were interested. Um, And uh, it it wasn't where I was wanted to be necessarily, but you know, it was a, a leg in basically or a foot through the door. And um, it, it was an opportunity and uh, it, it was, it was perfect for me. Um, there were two other, three other interns at the same time. And that was pretty impressive. They already had three interns. They, they were able to fund another intern position yeah. there in small animal medicine, you know, and um, the reason I wanted to do the internship was because I wanted to get, get into exotic animal medicine. Um, as so many of us, you know, dream of being a zoo vet or a wildlife vet. Um, it always sounds glamorous, doesn't it, it? It does until you read the fine print and then it's a lot of work behind the scene and you don't, you call in specialists to do the real work on the animals. And that's kind of, you know, that's the part that you would really like to do yourself. Yeah. Um, the internship. Right. Yeah. So how long was that? And where was it again? In Pullman, Washington. Washington. Washington State. Washington yeah. State. Yes. Yeah. That's a long way from Switzerland, right? It, it, it absolutely is. It <laughs> couldn't have been further, you know. Yeah. Flying to Seattle and then you take a puddle jumper into Pullman. And how long was it? It was a year, just one an year. internship, a one-year internship, but I learned so much. Yeah. And then then did you stay or did you go back to Switzerland? Um, my internship was done, um, but I was also applying for doing an internship in exotic animal medicine at that point. Ah, okay. And um, I had spent some time in, uh, in L.A. with Dr. Mater. And uh, just on one of my small stints um, where I could get away from the university setting to do like an externship for Mm -hmm. two weeks. And I got to um, work with him in his practice and um, I wanted to go back to spend some more time at that practice because he saw so many exotics there um, more than he saw in a day more than we saw in our entire time in Pullman. So, (laughs) you know, and that was really my goal. And also it helped 
um, to have another exotic animal experience, especially if I was applying for um, the internship in exotic animal medicine uh, in the United States, because letters of reference mean are, are a big deal. And uh, the more experience you can have, the more people you get to work with, um, the higher your chances are. So I was fortunate enough, I got invited back and um, spent some time with, uh, at his practice um, in LA uh, after my internship was done. So I went home, spent a month and a half at home, and then came back to the States. Yeah. And um, kind of never left after that. Okay. Well, yeah. and it, what is different about it? Like, what what is different about practicing in Europe and then being here in the United States? Like, what did you find the differences were? Are there any? It's hard to say because I spent most of my time with a large animal vet. Okay. In Switzerland. In Switzerland, so yeah. It's a totally different clientele. Right. Um, and in the country as well, um, mainly mainly with farmers, but we had great experiences with our own pets, um, with uh, a veterinarian in a village above ours, but he went to UC Davis for his residency program. Oh, interesting. So, you know, everything kind of in hindsight was just guiding me to the United States and yeah. to you know, furthering, doing further education, um, and, and learning more and pushing myself. Yeah. So did you end up in exotic medicine then? Um, partially. Okay. Partially. So, so tell me about that. So you were in Cal, you were in Washington, then you got to California. You mm -hmm. were there for how long? Um, I was there for initially six weeks. Um, and, um, during that time, um, I was discussing the internship program with Dr. Mader, and he recommended, well, if it's about getting um, more experience in exotics, uh, you know, uh, doing an internship doesn't necessarily, in, in, a, in the exotic animal field, is very different from actual practice. Right. Um, because it's a university setting. So um, just highlighting that for me opened my eyes a little bit more as to made me look, really look at what I wanted to do. Did I really want to work with people's pets, um, pet exotics, pet pets in general, um, and uh, just broaden my field? Or did I want to specialize in exotics and did I really want to be a zoo animal vet um, or a wildlife vet? You know, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, no, I don't want to see, sit behind a desk and organize things and um, tell people what to what to do and how to do it, but never get my hands dirty. That's and not that, that who would I be am. Zoo. That would be that the would zoo be more of the zoo world, okay. you know. Um, there are moments of excitement, but there's a lot of paperwork and involved. Yeah. You know? And yeah. Um, I just loved being in a busy practice. I loved um, dealing with the clients and figuring out the problems. And um, I just loved the practice world. And so my course changed from there. 
Um, and uh, I decided to stay and um, take my NAVLI and, and all, all the um, certifications to be able to practice in the United States. Because if I wasn't going to be staying at a university, I needed to get my license. Ah, I needed to get okay. license. Yeah. And so uh, in my mind, doing the ECFVG program, going through that would have been really quick because it was coming up in, what was it, October or September or something. And I could take that exam and then already be almost there. Well, I didn't factor in all the other steps you had to get done first with first. Um, and uh, so it took an, a year and a half in the end before I got certified. But again, it was not wasted. Um, I worked as a technician um, instead of a veterinarian, but my vet veterinary mind was still, still learning. engaged, you know. Yeah, still um, learning and growing. Yeah, and Exactly. And, and, I, and I got to do a lot of hands-on stuff that I wouldn't have gotten to do. Um, and I actually wrote my thesis in that time period, um, because in Europe, you don't get your doctor in front of your name until you have written the thesis. Uh, you are a veterinarian, but you are not, you can't be called doctor. Got you. So, hmm. so until you present your thesis. So I wrote that. I worked with Dr. Mader and some lovely sponsors um, on studying O2 saturation in iguanas and what triggers um, iguanas um, to wake up from anesthesia. Um, is it uh, lower O2 or the rise in CO2? And um, it was just, again, how do you, when would you ever anesthetize and intubate and um, work on a million iguanas? Yeah. <laughs> if you had a study like that. And yeah, I've worked on a few, but not a lot. Yeah. yeah so, it's and that that's kind of a platform into rectal medicine, um, and we learned quite a few things from that, and um, made quite a few, quite a few more friendships yeah. uh, along the way. So, so let uh, me ask you this before we continue into your story. This is a thought that just occurred to me. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, I became a veterinarian. I came over here to do the internships, but I had to go through all these other steps before I could truly be a vet in the United States, the NAVALI mm -hmm. and the licensing and all that. Yeah. So we just had NAVALI not too long ago. And I've worked with some people that um, either had difficulty or didn't pass or, um, you know, even people getting into vet school. I've talked to some students that didn't get in and that was such a big, you know, tragedy in their life. What would your advice be to those people that have suffered some sort of failure, but they still, you know, in their heart, they know they want to, they want veterinary medicine to be their career to get over those mental hurdles that you have that thinking I'm not good enough, you know, I'll never get this done, or it's, it's a tragedy because I have to wait a year and you, and you spent, you mm -hmm. said a year or so working on yeah. getting your license. So what, yeah. what's kind of your advice or thought processes that you would recommend that they think about or go through? For one thing, never think that you're not worth it or that um, it's never going to happen to you because if you really want that, then it will. And it just means that you have to work harder at it. 
Some people can look at a piece of paper, read something, and they know it by heart and they'll never forget it, at least not for as long as they need to remember it. <laughs> and, and others, we just need to read it, read it, read it, and then stick it under our pillow at night and read it again the following morning and hope it's And sticks. then go back and look it up the next day because we forgot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And if, if, you, if things are difficult, um, doesn't mean that they're impossible. They're just a little harder and you have to get into that, get yourself into that mind frame of I'm going to do this. I, it, and it's usually a subject that you really don't care for anyway, you know, or you think, when am I ever going to use this? Um, especially nowadays when there are tracts like small, small animal tracts and you need to know the large animal stuff and vice versa. Um, in veterinary medicine, you will always eventually utilize what you learn. Even if it's you seeing something and remembering that there was something that you had learned a long time ago, you will utilize it, be it small or large animal or physics or chemistry, um, but just just take heart and don't give up. It may mean that you have to look at it from a different angle. It may mean that you have to do, do something else for a while and then um, to be able to then buckle down and really devote yourself to what you need to learn. Um, and to have the time to be able to immerse yourself in that again, because that's a big problem too. Well, if I don't pass financially, how can I make that work? Um, that's, that's a big thing too. But again, if it's something that you really, really truly believe you want to do, then you will, you will find a way and life will find a way for you yeah. to get there. I agree. And if it doesn't happen, doesn't mean that you're unhappy. Just look at the life that you make. Even if your goal had been something different, just because it changed, your path changed, doesn't mean that you gave up either. Right. It just means that life changed and you changed with it. Right. And yeah. reevaluate how important that goal still is to you at this point. Right. You know, are you actually unhappy? And you'll find a lot of times you're not. It's still a goal slash a dream of one day doing something like that. But again, those are those are goals that will never go away and you'll keep getting closer no matter what. Right. And we'll you can get stay closer. in that world until you get yeah. what you want. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And there's just so many examples. I mean, yeah. well, I was talking to somebody, I was talking to um, one of my coaching clients the other day, and this person was having thoughts that because her struggle to get into vet school was long and arduous, that she's not as good as the other doctors in her practice. Now she got in and she went through vet school and she graduated and she passed her navally. So she's a fully qualified veterinarian, but her story is that she's not as good because she struggled to get into vet school. 
And what I was trying to convey to her is that's absolutely not true. You gained so many qualities from that struggle and you put in so much more effort than someone that is just really good on a test, you know, and mm-hmm. they just got in because they're just super brilliant. That like there, there are different qualities that you have than they have not better or worse, just different. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being a veterinarian is not just about being great at taking a test. It's about sure. listening to Common people sense. Yeah. And, and understanding what clients are trying to tell you. And then also taking that and modifying it to what is the patient telling you that's right in front of you. And then puzzling that out into, okay, what is actually going on? Right. Because um, what the client sees may not be what is what the pet is actually going through, may not be what the real problem is, but we need to see that. And I think having more life experience and more experience dealing with ups and downs and, uh, and your own emotions helps you understand other people's emotions as well. Yes. Um, much more. So it, it, it shapes people, you know, if everything's easy, then, you know, sometimes it can, we've, we've had, we've had doctors come through that were so, so smart and just flew through their, their exams and, and, uh, had, had no problems with the theoretical part, but the practical part was so hard because, um, they knew what was best, but the client didn't either understand what, what they wanted to do or didn't have the finances to be able to do it. And the, the doctor couldn't understand why that they had to bring it down a notch, right? Right. And I think the more experiences you have in life, the more understanding you have of not just, you know, medicine, which is what we're learning, but of understanding people. And that's a lot of what we do as vets is understanding people. And don't think that you're less, you know, it might've taken you longer to get there, but in the end, you ha- you have that knowledge, right? You know, you have that knowledge, and sometimes the harder it is to to learn it, the better it sticks, and the quicker it comes. <laughs> and the back more out. valuable it is, like the yeah. more you, the more you value your career because it took it was hard to get to it. Yeah, think, and so, you know, it, it's just like any other goal. It, the harder it is to get it, the more it, exciting it is. You know, like right. I think of the gold medals at the Olympics. Those people work their whole life and that gold medal really isn't worth anything, but to them it is because of the achievement and the accomplishment and the, you know, just the, the meaning of it, not necessarily the actual medal itself. It was a, it's a dream come true. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can't forget that when we have worked so hard and we finally get into veterinary medicine um, and we actually get out there to practice. Don't forget that this is your dream come true. Yes, you know. And, yeah. and sometimes, sometimes they people think of it as a nightmare, but <laughs> right, it's but, not but even in yourself. the hard times, right? Yeah, there's always going to be times that are hard. I, it wouldn't be life right. if that weren't the case. Yeah, you know, you would be 
in, I don't know, Nirvana or something. If Which doesn't they, exist, right? Right. Or at least not that we know of here on Earth. Not yet. Not but yet. everything comes with hardships. Bad days happen. But then so do great days. Yes. It's just one bad day can make you think about it for weeks and months. Mm-hmm. Whereas your good days, you accept them as, yes, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. So just remember that. No, remember that client that said something really nice, gave you that big hug and was saying how wonderful you were. Remember that person. Right. Not the ugly and one. Not the ugly one. And even when they're ugly, are they ugly just to be mean or are they ugly because they're, they want their pet well again and you can't give them that right you know or what else is going on in their life right you know um that's a really good point so so just remember try to hold on to the good things know that there's bad days there always are or people that just you just can't understand why you would be so mean or so when you're trying your best but don't let that just throw in the towel, right. you know, make you throw in the towel because that's. And you can't take it personally. That's You're there I for mean, the animal. You do because they're personally attacking you, but yeah. it's more about their feelings. And yeah. you don't need, I had someone on the podcast that said, you don't need to accept it. If they hand you their feelings, you don't have to take them. You can right. just leave them on the table and walk away. And I thought that was a great way to think about it is they're handing me their feelings, but I don't have to accept it. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And just right. remind yourself you're there for the animal. Yes. You're there yeah. for the, the baby, their baby in that moment. And they can act how they want, but in the end, you can always say, look, let's focus, let's refocus on, on your, on your pet, on, what the problem is why and why we're it, here. It's work together. Right. You know, um, it doesn't help to feed into that. It doesn't go for a run, go for a long walk, whatever it takes afterwards to get that out of your system. Talk to your best friend and your, or your partner or your dog and let it out. And then focus on, you know what? Life is still good. You know, Mm-hmm. Life is, life is more, always better than you think. Right. More good than bad. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go. We were in California. I want to keep going mm-hmm. through your story because there's a lot more to do. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great story. I'm excited for everyone to hear it. I like, I heard the brief version when we were at, right. the, so I want to hear the detailed version too. Oh, good Lord. Okay. So you're in California, you, yep. you got your license, all that. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Um, well, then I started working at um, a practice in LA um, and in small animal, no cows, no horses, <laughs> no piggies. Like a lot of us yeah. that grew up thinking we wanted to be James Harriet. <laughs> Absolutely. And the younger in generation, yeah, the younger generation might now with the new PBS series coming out. Um, might now know who James Harriet is yeah, again. Yeah, they still need to read it. I'm sorry, it, it probably dates me, but the I think every vet should read those books. So that's oh, just yeah. my personal opinion. Totally agreed. The humor <laughs> quality is yeah, it's the just dry excellent. humor is wonderful, mm-hmm. and just life. You yeah, know? we were watching it the other day, and I'm like, oh, 
I can smell the barn. <laughs> I can smell what it smells like when that cow is giving birth. You know, when that calf is coming out, I can yeah. smell it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just brings you back. And it's pretty well done, actually. The new the new series. The, I watched the old one too, but the new ones, it's yeah. pretty well done. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we watched them all. We read all the books, you know. And I, as you said, I highly recommend the books. They're Absolutely, just Absolutely, yeah. Series. But um, yeah, so I, I started working and uh, in LA as well. And uh, at that point, um, Dr. Mater and I got closer and um, we ended up, he ended up selling his practice in, in LA. And so we decided to just get up and move to a place where people might be a little bit more friendly. <laughs> really? <laughs> so you got uh, out of LA. And uh, so, no, actually more like, so we could enjoy um, nature more and enjoy the water. Um, we'd visited the Keys numerous times. Dr. Um, Mater had been uh, coming down for many, many years, and he was actually born in the Upper Keys, so um, he felt like he wanted to come home, and I said, sure, I'll come along, and uh, yeah, so we moved to the Keys, to Florida, and to the nice. Keys. Yep. Yeah, and so what key? Tell me, I, I think you told me this before, but now I can't our practices or Our practice was in Marathon, Marathon. which is in Middle Keys. It's like okay. between... Miami and uh, Key West. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we did. We did go snorkeling and diving, and enjoyed the waters for um, the first few years. Well, first year, um, and uh, I started working for a small animal practitioner in Marathon, and he was. Um, known for his good quality medicine and his emergency care and his good care of patients. Okay. And, um, you know, back, back then, um, placing an IV catheter was a big deal and putting a patient on fluids was, surgery, you, mean, you know, yeah. not even, not, not even for surgery. Did you place an IV catheter, put right. things, fluids and stuff. And, and he did. And uh, if they needed to have overnight care and be on fluids overnight, he would. And a lot of other practitioners didn't at that time. Right. And I didn't want to work anywhere where I would have to give up good quality medicine. Um, you know, being that I had done an internship um, at, a, at um, Pullman, I knew what quality medicine the was. The right way to I do wasn't it. wasn't going to give it up. Right. And, uh, you know, there were many other practices that, that were an option, but I didn't want anything else. And so that's where I worked for the first year and a half or so, two years. And then we had a big hurricane come through. Mm. Um, Hurricane Georges uh, came through and just um, killed our house, so to speak. Um, we had a house that Ugh. was 
ground level and and it just the Took water it out. one end and out the other. Were you there or did you evacuate? No, no we evacuated. Evacuated. Oh yeah. It's gotta be terrible. How does it feel to come home and not have a home? Surreal. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I see it on TV all the time and I'm like, how does that feel? Yeah, it's it's weird when you can't open the front gate because there's so much sand and stuff to the stuck to the front of it that you can barely open it up. And when you finally do and you open your front door, you have fish and sand and crabs and all that greeting you, you know, crazy. Yeah. So, um, but work was still there, you know, so hospital stood, the hospital stood. Um, and, uh, thankfully, um, Dr. Mater was um, retired in apostrophes at the time. And uh, he started working on the house and I kept working at work. And it took more than a year to, to rebuild it. He rebuilt it with a friend and um, you know, that was a big deal. Yeah. That was was huge. And uh, we had uh, gotten married in the meantime and so, uh, it, it's, um, came up that, uh, the, uh, practice owner that I was working for after the hurricane, his wife didn't want to stick around anymore. Mm. And, uh, Did their so, house get destroyed too? Was that part no, of it? No, no, he, no. He, he'd been wanting to sell for a while ah, okay. and, um, everybody that he had thought would be interested ended up not being interested. And then after the storm, his wife wanted just to leave. And um, we made a bid on, on the practice and uh, got Dr. Mater out of retirement. (laughs) That's one way to do it, right? (laughs) Right. Drag him to Florida and then put him back to work, huh? Yeah, yeah. The whole idea was to relax and enjoy, but um, and so then we were practice owners, and you know, in the beginning, it was a big shock because everybody was used to my my previous boss um, being there, and uh, you know, and then this this youngster is there seeing their pets. But I had been there for two years; it wasn't like I was complete newbie, right? Uh, right. And uh, it is a transition, isn't it? When it's a transition over a practice from an older practitioner that's been there for years. And right. I went through that with my practice too. It's like, they look at you differently when you're the owner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as an owner, of course you get more of the, the, why is this this way? And can we give this person a discount? And this person doesn't agree with that, you know? And uh, so it comes with a whole lot more responsibility and uh, you have to be aware of that. Um, And of course, they're no longer your uh, partners in crime. They're also your employees. Um, But we always treated our staff as, as family, you know, and if you had a problem, you come to us, you talk to us and we will listen um, and try to help in any way we can, unless it's something that, is unrealistic, you know? Right. Yeah. But, um, and that's, that's a big deal. 
um, being able to do that because that doesn't just go for your patients and your clients. It goes for your staff. You have to be there to be able to listen and to, to know what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's behind that mindset of becoming an owner? Because I know there's people out there that are listening that think about it. Like, should I be an owner? Should I buy a practice? Should I start a practice? What do you think is the mindset of the person like you that decides to buy a practice? Well, if you want to practice your kind of medicine um, and uh, you have you have a vision and you want to offer quality, um, you know that you can bring something to your area that you think is special or needed um, that that was kind of our thing, you know, we, um, I it, was about, it was about the medicine. Is it was about the, medicine. the way you wanted to work. Right. Yeah. Right. And being that our goal was always to offer the best quality medicine we could offer. And if we couldn't offer it to send you somewhere where you could get it. Um, and, uh, you know, we wanted also to be part of a team of veterinarians so that we could all work together and not work against each other. Um, and that's a big thing even now, I think, that veterinarians need to work on is communication with each other. Yes. You know, in the profession. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> don't look at each other as rivals as much as how can we complement each other, you know, yes. because there are some things that you do that the other person does, does not offer, or the other, other practitioner does a whole lot better than, than you could ever do. Mm -hmm. And so don't, don't think that you can't refer and, you know, have a discussion with, with, with your partners in the area. Okay. What, what, what are your, what do you think your strong suits are? Where where can we help each other out so we don't overwork our, each ourselves trying to beat each other rather than working together yeah. and finding a way that we can make each other's lives easier? Yeah, and that's a big you thing I, I've noticed um, where I where I have my practice or had my practice. Um, there was a group of veterinarians in the area that were all practice owners that would actually get together. Mm -hmm. once a month and have meetings and talk and share ideas. And what I discovered over the years is that's very unique. Yes. And people were like, how does that work? You know, you're, you've got somebody that's a couple miles down the road and how do you not compete? And I said, well, we just had an agreement that we would come together and we wouldn't steal each other's employees. But if someone honestly wanted to go to work for another vet and they left and went and applied that I would be okay with it or whatever, and it was a very unique thing. And I, and I keep encouraging veterinarians to try mm -hmm. to reproduce something like that in their area, because I yep. think that if you can team up, especially if there's lots of small practices in like a urban area, like I'm in, it really, I learned so much from all these other practice owners and they learned from me and 
we problem solve together. And you know, there was a lot of um, camaraderie and it just makes the profession much more rich if you immerse yourself in other, other veterinarians. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And get to know them and their unique talents and get help from them and call them for advice. And that that's a really, I think something that we're really missing and that we need to kind of try to build. Yeah. And it also makes you feel less alone. Yes. You know, because if anybody's going to understand you, it's your fellow veterinarians. <laughs> and sometimes not necessarily the ones you work with. Right. But uh, somebody a little bit removed, yeah. you know, that has more of an objective view of things um, rather than somebody that is just as deeply involved in that case or, you know, knows that client from whatever, you know, somebody that's just one step removed, but still in the field can be so helpful in being more objective and just going, looking at it from a different side. I mean, obviously go to your, go to your coworkers first, but if you feel like you're getting zero support there, or just not what you, not necessarily not zero support, but not a different way of looking at things, you know, it's okay to reach out just like, um, you know, you're helping people um, in the profession find other ways of looking at things or doing things, Um, you know, sometimes just, or or speaking to an old mentor or um, reaching even back to your, vet school days and calling a professor and just going, am I completely off base? Am I missing something here? I think Um, we're always afraid. We're, we're afraid to ask for help because we think that means something's wrong with us. Like Mm -hmm. when you call for help, you, you phone an, a specialist, you're like, well, I should already know this, you know, like you, you get that. I think a lot of us get that imposter syndrome. Well, I probably should already know this, but I really need to call for help. And I think that that's that's what we need to get over because if you realize that that person that you're calling would call you back for a different problem because you have a different skill, I think that's when the magic happens. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm an exotic vet, but there's things that I'm not good at. I don't know how to do. And I'll just call another exotic vet in my area and say, okay, I've got this case. It's not going well. I'm not quite sure what to do. Are you okay if I send it to you to try or, mm-hmm. you know, can you, can you help me? And I, I think if you can get over yourself and just be okay with reaching out, even if you feel a little silly or dumb, it, it really, it builds, it builds the practice and it makes it more fun. It does because then you get to discussing cool cases. Or you might think that you're up against the wall and it's just a very complicated case. Yeah. Or I've yeah. called specialists and they'll be like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Right. So <laughs> and you're like, okay, so I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. Right. But don't you've, know either. Been, you've been looking down the drain going, oh my God, this is going nowhere. And yeah. that's because some cases just don't. It's just the way it goes, right? You know? Yeah. So, Or the species is one that just does things the opposite way of everybody else. Yeah. You know, there is such a thing. Um, but that's what makes veterinary medicine so interesting too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the big thing is always know that you can reach out. doesn't mean you have to call about every little thing. Obviously do your research first, do some soul searching, do some, 
look at the old books. You know, it doesn't matter how old they are on the shelf. You don't think they could help you. They have some really good information in those books. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> yeah. Some of the just, ideas they recycle. I've, I've said yeah. that to my younger vets. I'll say, well, you're not supposed to do this or you're not supposed to do that. And I'll say, well, 10 years ago, we were supposed to do it. Then we weren't. Then we were. Now we aren't again. Right. And it, like, it comes in circles sometimes. And so exactly. things change and sometimes they go back. Like it's kind of like fashion. <laughs> well, and you know, we're all different. So one thing might work for you, but it absolutely does not work when I try it. Right. But this other method that absolutely does nothing for you works for me perfectly. Right. And so there's often more times more than one way of doing it or mm. for that patient, it, that might be the right way. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, just, uh, just always keep an open mind. Don't blow off the old guys. We have some great experiences. <laughs> Don't blow off your technicians because they've seen it all. Yes. <laughs> the techs are smart. That, that so, is good advice. Listen to your techs. If they hint around that you might want to try this, it's probably a good idea to try it, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, just, just keep on, keep an open mind and, and be receptive. Yeah. And don't beat yourself down. Absolutely. Yeah. Do not beat yourself down. So tell me, um, so now you're the owner of the practice mm-hmm. uh, with a partner mm-hmm. and how big is the practice? Um, it was basically a one and a half doctor practice. And then you built it up, I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Um, we added an overnight care emergency service. Ooh, emergency. Um, well, we always did emergencies, but, um, we now reached out to everybody, all the other veterinarians, um, in the area to let them know that we were here, you know, that, if they needed a night off, because there's a lot of single practitioners in our area and you, there's only so much you can do after a crazy day, right? Just be on call at night. And some nights you don't even know what's up from down anymore by the time morning comes around. So right. um, we wanted to let them know that we were here for them, or if they had cases that they really needed overnight care for that we could take those over, but we would send the clients right back. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, you know, we wouldn't steal them. And uh, it over time, when um, the community realized that that was really what we were doing, um, it made a big impact. And we were able to grow to four doctors. And then we needed a larger building and moved into a beautiful um, 6,000 square foot building with, you know, separate oxygen chambers and dental suite and um, exotic ward and, and isolation ward, um, rather than the employee bathroom with the part of a puppy sitting on the toilet kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it just kept growing. And, you know, you have to invest you have to believe that this will happen and work on it and it will. Yeah. You know? And you it's do have scary, to though, when you're building a practice and you yeah. see, you know, you have to add on to your building or you move buildings. Yeah. There's so much money involved. And um, 
when you're young and you're trying to do that, it's very, very intimidating and scary. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but you'll live through it because I've lived through it and you've lived through it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And don't think that you have to pay off your student debt all in one go. Right. You know? um, just because you have student debt does not mean that you can't also open your own practice. Um, there are great programs out there to consolidate your debt, um, to, you know, you, you talk to the right people in the industry and a lot of your um, lab machinery and your equipment, your radio, radiology machinery, you can all work that off over time um, with a lot of these companies. And it's amazing right. what they, because companies want you to do well, otherwise they won't make any money from of you. And sometimes so, they'll even give you the equipment. Exactly. Just to get you to buy their services, like the right. lab equipment, they'll give it to you for free as long yeah. as you use their lab. So yeah, you kind of got to work the system a little bit. Yes, yes. And, and listen to what they're offering. Go with some of go with what other people are saying about who they use and who they really like or who they stay away from. But then also go with your gut feeling. Who can you actually work well with? Who actually listens to what you're asking for and uh, helps you with that? Um, and you will make it work. You will get those bills paid and um, and make it grow. But know that you will always you know, have to work to make payments, um, you know, just, just because a life with where you're not working to pay things off, especially right out of vet school or five years or 10 years out of vet school, you know, doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it doesn't, um, you know, and we, we lost our house during, during Hurricane George's, and we still managed to um, to make payments on our new practice to to do a balloon payment, get funding from the banks, get you know get a mortgage on the house and yeah. stuff like Rebuild that. Rebuild the house, all of Rebuild that. Rebuild the house, and you know when the um, mortgages went down, we could refinance our 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 mortgage. We went for it and it was a better payment and we consolidated stuff. We paid some stuff off so that we could have a lesser um, interest payment and things like that. Right. You do have to work at it all the time. Yeah. It's not just, and people don't go, Hey, we've got this here. You have to kind of keep your ears peeled and look at some of the eyes peeled and <laughs> look at some of those things, flyers that come in the mail about, you know, we have this cheaper mortgage rate. Would you be interested yeah. Normally those go in the bin, but sometimes you want to look at those and research that if it really is a better deal or if it's just a way to make life more miserable for you. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it's there is you can do it. You yeah. can do it. And it keeps, you know, keeps things exciting. I know nowadays everybody wants to be, you know, paid off and this and that and the other. But realistically, you never will be. That does not mean that you have to take your $10,000 vacation or mega trip right out of vet school when you have all that debt, you know? Yeah. A little bit delayed, maybe. You'll delay that, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you're used to living like a student and I hate to say it, 
what's another year or so of living a little leanly and slowly figuring out what you can what you can spend money on and what you can't right um rather than saying well now I'm a veterinarian and I am gonna go whole hog buy myself a new car and you know get jet skis and uh, a boat and all of this. I bought a new car out of vet school, but it was like a Ford Escort or something. It was a right. little tiny. <laughs> you, you know what I mean, though. And I right? had to take out a loan to buy it, so it wasn't. There you go. It wasn't very ritzy for sure. Yeah. So, so tell me about okay. So the practice, you're the owner, and then tell me about when the acupuncture stuff came in because you're certified in acupuncture and um, homeopathic. Uh, Yes, an herb. Chiropractic herb. too, or? Um, I've, yes, um, uh, manipulation, manual manipulation. Yeah, um, tell me about that, because I do have a lot of people that I talk to that are interested in that. Yeah, um, I grew up in Hong Kong, which is a totally separate conversation. Oh we didn't get that so. part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so I was exposed to um, the Asian culture and acupuncture and um, just that way of thinking since I was teeny weeny. And so for me, my husband actually um, brought it to my attention that there was a, an acupuncture course that I might be interested in taking. And uh, I went, it was a three-day weekend course on hip acupuncture for the hip. And um, I attended and, you know, we learned five points or something in, on that day. And how to use them. And I thought that was very interesting, but it was just not enough. I wasn't going to be sticking needles into something after a three-day course. So, <laughs> but that's me, you know, other people are all over that, but yeah. I'm not just, me. Little, I, I, I need, I need a little deeper <laughs> knowledge. A little more, more yeah, training. More training. Um, and we looked into it and there's actually in Florida, there's a, an amazing, um, school called Chi University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, my veterinarians. Well, my, one of my good friends that worked with me, she went through it. it she really, yep. it's, it's cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and they do an amazing job. I was, I started when they were still teaching out of the, um, one of the rooms in a hotel with 20 other students. And now it's, now it's a big deal, huh? Huge, big deal. And they've built their own premise and, and they have their own stables and libraries and teaching halls and separate herbal facility. And it's just grown amazingly. Well, you did so that's this. how I took that course. You yes. did this long before it was popular. Like, were you one of the first starting. ones? Um, probably not quite one For of the area? first ones. Yeah. Um, like in 2000, 2002, something like that. Okay. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, I just loved it. You know, for me, it was like coming home because it's, it's a way of thinking that I understand. Um, It's much more visual and poetic, if you want to call it that. (laughs) Um, It's just, yeah. Uh, And it works. And it works and I've it definitely seen, I've works. I've seen a lot of, a lot of pets go through it and it really does remarkable things. And the amazing thing to me is that I know it works. I use it almost every day. Yeah. But when a client comes back to me and says, oh my God, it really, it, I could see right away. And I'm like, 
I'm surprised every time. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you surprised? Because <laughs> you know it works. It. You know it works. Because it kind of seems a little bit like magic, you know? Mm-hmm. It seems a little bit, um, I don't know, kind of out there, kind of like laser therapy and that kind of thing. You don't really see what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's harder to believe that it's working. Right. But, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen dogs really change yep. and people too. I mean, some of my oh. techs used to walk around with needles in their head when my doctor was there. <laughs> they'd be like, can you put a couple needles in me? And she would say, well, don't tell anyone I did this, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it, I mean, there's, so, there's so many exciting modalities out there may not be acupuncture for you. It might be, um, the, visceral manipulation or the manipulation, the medical manipulation in animals, AKA chiropractics. Not that I just said that word. Right. That's not the right word. Right. We don't want Um, to use that. Right. But, and, and again, what works for one person may not work for the other or may not speak to you the same way. Right. Um, And that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, A lot of people do combinations, but it's not like, um, you have to know or do everything to be a great veterinarian. Right. You know, even with acupuncture, I did acupuncture for 10 years before I went and did, um, took the herbal course. And, you know, I had great results just doing the acupuncture, but I just wanted to learn more. I've always, I, I will never get bored in life because there's just too much I want to know. I know. I want to live to be about 500 because there's right? some things I want to do, right? Yep. And so. <laughs> I keep saying, oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Yep. I'd like to do that. Yeah, exactly. And so, so you know, you, I, I took the herbal course and then started using that. And what that opened up for me was um, that I may not need to see the patient as often or that. Um, those patients that acupuncture truly was not an option, the herbs could help. Right. Um, And then there's the medical manipulation. There's also massage, which is totally underrated, but works amazingly well. Yeah. I haven't Um, seen that done much, so I'm going to have to check into that. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's the one, the course that I took was Twina um, also through the Chi Institute, but it's um, basically a, it's Chinese massage. And um, there are many different techniques to use um, that work not just on horses because most every holistic approach works on horses because they're so sensitive. Yeah. But um, on our small animals that we've tried everything else on, ad nauseum before they come in for a holistic treatment of any kind. Right. Right. Um, it, it works amazingly well on them too. Um, massage can also, um, be a precursor to being able to touch that pet for an exam. You don't learn anything without benefiting from it in the end, whether you know it or not. Right. Whether it's obvious. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so be curious, you know, yeah, be, be interested in other things. And some people also go, well, I just want to do acupuncture for the rest of my life. Um, I don't even want to do veterinary 
regular veterinary medicine. Well, you have to know veterinary medicine to be a good acupuncturist. Right. You know, and just because you're doing acupuncture doesn't mean that you throw your Western knowledge out the window. A lot of times you're doing things in conjunction. It might mean that you can use less Western medicine, less drugs, or prolong the life of a patient that is already on medication, but doing just okay. Right. So doing really well for a much longer period of time. Yeah. Um, and if you have knowledge of both sides, that is nothing but good for you. It's more power. Yep. And Are those cat ears peeking up at the bottom of the... There they are. <laughs> I see white cat ears. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. He just heard we were talking about him, so he's looking he's for ducking. now. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So yeah. tell me, um, there's more to the story. I got to keep prompting you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So the, the practice um, got had another hurricane, I heard. Yeah, of course. Yeah? You know, 20 years later. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so now what he's happened? So we had another hurricane. Years, you say? Yep. Was this at 20 years after you bought it that there after was another hurricane? After the first hurricane. Okay. All right. Yeah. Pretty Tell much. That story. Um, we got her hit by Irma down mm-hmm. here. Um, devastated basically our whole community, uh, especially where we live on Big Pine and um, everything along the ocean side from Kajo up to Marathon and Isla Mirada, you know, there were tornadoes and everything. other things, everything. And uh, we had evacuated to Orlando. Um, and uh, if you hear that screaming, that's Simon, our bird. I know my dogs are, my dogs are restless too. So mine's, yeah. I have a whining dog here now. Uh-huh. Time. So it wiped out, it so wiped it out this. It it actually did not wipe out the practice. That's the oh. one thing it didn't wipe out. Oh, okay. Just everything uh, else, the house, everything around it. And so, the so we actually did. ended up moving into our hospital and like living, living there because our house was destroyed. Wow! So yeah. you had to live there. Yeah, together wow. with half our staff. Really? Yeah. Wow! That that ought to have been like a big camping trip. It kind of was. It kind of was. And of course, internet was imagine. internet was the only thing that was up. Phones were down for, I think, two or three weeks or something. Oh, wow. So, But we were there. We had come back to work on whatever we had to work on. So we're already at the hospital. So we were open. We just went on Facebook and announced we're open and yeah. started seeing patients and um, taking care of everybody, the community Amazing. again, just yeah. uh, putting us ourselves out there. And, you know, while we were harvesting anything we could from our house that wasn't there anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, three years later, we just moved into our, um, our new house last year. So and, it didn't discourage uh, you from living in the Keys. It's still worth it. Yeah, and we're still the hurricanes. But yeah. <laughs> you know, because daring it to happen again, right? You, well, you have that conversation, right? You, yeah. you have that conversation afterwards is like, are we gonna stick around? What's going yeah. on? Does it even make sense? You know, and then we looked at each other and went, Where would you want to be? You know, yeah. 
If you and go to else? the West Coast, you have earthquakes, um, fires, whatever else. If you go to the center, you have tornadoes and earthquakes from fracking. And if you go to the East Coast, you just have hurricanes. So at least we know these are coming. Right. You know? And we have fair warning and you learn to put what is most important as far as important documents and stuff all in one area in a box that you can take with you and stick in the car and leave there. Um, And, and you, you learn to prepare during hurricane season. You always have something somewhere ready to go that you hopefully can unpack for Christmas and and donate or, or use up or whatever. Um, It's a different, a little lighter. It's a different way of, of being, yeah. you know, but it, but it just is. And uh, we just asked ourselves, where would we want to go? And we figured, you know, we don't really want to go anywhere. We don't want to live anywhere else. We can right. visit anywhere else right. when we want to. Yeah. But when we come here to the Keys, we feel at home. Right. We feel we love our community. We still love the nature surrounding us, you know, and uh, can't beat our temperatures. Sorry there. <laughs> <laughs> I know while well, I'm sitting in Michigan and it's like 20 degrees. <laughs> right, right. Um, and it's probably what, 80 down there? <laughs> not yet. We have a cold front coming through. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. I've heard about the cold front from yes, my mom and dad who are poor, in. Of course, 60 degrees this morning. It goes down to 60. <laughs> it's really cold. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So, all right. Well, yeah. there's more to your story. So we can keep going or we can wrap up and do this again another day. How do you feel? You want to do another one? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Because I really want to hear about your board work and there's so much more that we can talk about, about being a practice owner and all that. So, so let's wrap this one up. Um, Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you really wanted to say today to any veterinarians that could be out there listening to you? What could they get life lesson from you? Hmm. That you haven't said? (laughs) That I haven't said. Well, I can just reiterate that if you have a dream, go for it. I love that. But there might be some hurdles to overcome along the way, but don't look at them as hurdles. Look at them as learning opportunities. Yes. Yes. Steps. Steps to get where you want to go, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because you will get there. And, you know, life has a way of being circuitous and you know, well, and this is coming from someone. This is coming from someone who had two houses destroyed in hurricanes. Yes. So if this person can be positive, I think that most of us can, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me if people want to want to contact you, or they have any questions or anything about you or your practice. Is can they contact you somewhere, yeah. or do you have a website or something? Yes. If my dog stops barking for just a few minutes, um, <laughs> you can contact me at uh, Dr. Jerry Holistic Vet at gmail.com, um, which is D R G E R R Y Holistic Vet at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll put that in the show notes too at gmail.com. All right. And then I want us to, well, we'll plan it later, but let's get together again. Cause I want to hear about the board 
And there's a lot of people out there that are interested in doing work um, in organized veterinary medicine. And I know you know a lot about that because you've done it. How long have you been on the board of directors? Um, I've been on the board now two years. Okay. Not as long as you would think, but I've been around it forever and a day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's do that on the next podcast that we do together. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. I've enjoyed this conversation. It's been a lot of fun and um, we'll be back to do it again, guys. Everybody have a beautiful week. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.